Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, how are you, Moshe? Ah, perfect. Good morning, Ariel. We are in, in another podcast of uh, Silver Lining Media. Uh, and today we are with Or. How are you, Or? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Very good. Very good. Thank <laughs> you for uh, joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, Or is uh, basically a team leader at SNCC, a very, uh, very, uh, how would they say it, uh, innovative startup. I'm not sure you're a startup anymore. Last round you raised how many? 50 uh, million? No, like 150. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The, a bit more. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you, uh, are you considered a unicorn already? Yeah. Okay, so congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well done. Uh, SNCC is a very uh, interesting company. They started off as uh, basically a open source uh, checkup and open source examiner for verifying that your open source is, uh, is uh, genuine, is authentic. And now you're doing so many other things. So uh, by uh, this was the opening. Go yeah. ahead and explain a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in SNCC and uh, basically uh, everything you think. Great. So uh, I'm Or, Or Kamara, uh, 30 years old, married to my amazing wife, uh, Roni. Uh, you can uh, stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I've, uh, I've served in the, like, as part of the army in the uh, uh, prime minister office uh, for around uh, eight years, uh, which was an amazing time. And yeah, like everything related to like security, cybersecurity, what you can imagine. Uh, and then I joined SNCC around uh, two years ago. Um, and basically, I'll leave some uh, background around SNCC. So SNCC is, a, is an open source security for developers. So yeah, we started uh, around uh, almost five years ago, four years ago, uh, dealing with open source component of the, the applications. Uh, and then from then we we continue with several products. So uh, one of them, which I uh, kind of built from scratch was the container product. So the same thing for applications that you can imagine, like looking for the, the open source dependencies, the same thing for the containers, uh, looking for the OS packages that are being part of the, the container and which is right now the, the second product of SNCC. Uh, and at the moment, like a few years, a few weeks, few months ago, I started uh, working on a new product, which is a uh, total different. Uh, and the new product is around uh, uh, cloud configuration. And basically the concept is, again, helping the developers, uh, like, uh, like uh, understanding the differences, understanding the issues that can be part of the uh, configuration of their cloud tools. So things like uh, Kubernetes, things like Terraform, uh, cloud formation, all of those. So it's like a different area that still wrap that wraps the the application, right? It's like mm -hmm. part of the application, but it's a it's a big unknown at the moment for a developer because it's like a huge thing. It's a like it's not easy to be an expert in Kubernetes, specifically not in security. Uh, so this is what we're trying to do. Okay. So do you spend the last couple of months uh, doing uh, research on the uh, classmates configuration and building your own product, which mm -hmm. is uh, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, is it th the product is available already? Yeah. So like 
right now it's a uh, it's still a private beta but like in the in the next month uh right before kubecon we will uh, release a public beta so we, it, it will be free for everybody we will be in the air when uh, <laughs> <laughs> when the feature will be on when the product yeah. will be on. <laughs> okay so good luck with your product thanks and basically because of your research on cloud misconfiguration and we decided to uh, have you here and talk a little bit more about uh, cloud misconfiguration and uh, the reason for that and what we can do about mm-hmm. it and we in the preparation conversation we decided to focus on the capital one hack a um, couple of months ago capital one a large bank was hacked uh, the, the hacking made a big noise first of all because it's a bank and it's always uh, uh, and, and it's always get bigger headlines mm-hmm. second there's a large number 150 million information staking record yeah. something like that uh, one of the biggest hacks uh, and the third it was a very complicated hack uh, some rumors about uh, AWS uh, internal uh, malicious internal uh, uh, threat which apparently wasn't true uh, I have to say disclaimer um, we don't know anything about uh, capital one hack except w- what was in the public media my capital one hack didn't mm-hmm. uh, share with us anything right anything yeah. we're going to say is based on what we read in the media but I have to say that uh, it's pretty The attack vector are pretty, uh, I mean, we, we, fami- we are familiar with most of them already, so there's no big surprises there. It's just a complication and basically the aggregated of all the uh, different misconfiguration vulnerabilities yeah. into one result, which makes this story so fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a combination of few, few failures, right, mm-hmm. uh, in the application, in the cloud environment, all of those together. led to this problem okay so let's give a short review what uh, were the basically the main steps in the capital hack one just to uh, capital hack one capital <laughs> one hack yeah <laughs> um, so so again as, as we're familiar with uh, the the first step was uh, a service that uh, was expo- exposed to the internet uh, but it should it should have been like an internal one uh, but still people c- uh, had an access to To the service from the internet so it wasn't a declared web server it was a web server yeah, but it shouldn't have been open to the internet exactly mm-hmm. uh, and the 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 web application was behind uh, a prox uh, a proxy like a um uh, like a modsec web application uh, a proxy a firewall i'm sorry <laughs> mm-hmm. so the 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 service was behind a, a firewall uh like a web application firewall mopsec Uh, and and basically we still not, not not sure why but somehow the attacker had uh, uh, had an access to an SSRF vulnerability uh, and using this SSRF vulnerability uh, the attacker used like the internal URL of the uh, cloud metadata um, service of AWS and then using this the API this this metadata API basically got the credentials of s3 buckets uh, that were attached to the uh, EC2 instance um, and then yeah using those credentials uh, the attacker actually used like access the bucket and sync all of the data from I think around the seven seven uh, hundred uh, buckets oh. which is a lot. Mm-hmm. So he managed to scrape uh, each one of them and in, probably in one of them or some of them he found the user data. That's the yeah. story. Yeah. 
Okay, and this story is fascinating basically because it's utilizing all the attack vector we've been warning about for years, like open uh, too much permissions to the S3 buckets mm -hmm. and uh, um, using uh, access keys and the way that you use basically the access keys or the API keys uh, and exposing servers that are shouldn't be exposed to the internet. So uh, no. all the failures are in here in one place. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, start reviewing them um, step by step from yeah. uh, uh, and see what kind of configuration or misconfiguration uh, were made and what kind of configuration can we do in order to uh, prevent next next one. Mm -hmm. So should we start with the metadata service? I think before that, first of all, let's focus on the uh, the internet-facing servers. I mean, it, from my from my point of view, um, I, recently we we at the CSA launched uh, an advanced exercise of DevSecOps, and one of the tools that we build over there is uh, it's an it's a basically Lambda function, uh, serverless function, and it's what it does. It runs every couple of minutes, and it's checking which servers are exposed to to the internet mm -hmm. against a, a list of yeah, servers. Just that a simple check, right? Just a simple check. They have a, they have a white list of servers that should be exposed to the internet, and they have a black list, uh, sorry, and they're checking if there's a server that is not uh, in the list, and it's uh, exposed to the internet, it's blocked. And we do this as an exercise. I mean, it's so easy to do it uh, mm -hmm. when you're talking cloud, when you have an orchestrated environment. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we need to focus on is this. Yeah, so... so uh, I think that the major problem there was uh, again kind of a misconfiguration in the in the firewall. So they add a firewall, which is like the first step of the security, uh, but then something went wrong. So maybe it was uh, like the the mode of the of the firewall. Maybe it was only on a like tracing or logging mode and not like actually blocking mode. Uh, and maybe it was disabled for, uh, I don't know, for a few hours, or maybe there was a, a different work, like a, like a, a different thing that Acker actually used, uh, which is still unknown. Um, uh, but again, but yes, at the end, like it was exposed to the internet for some reason, I guess that uh, like using uh, techniques as you just mentioned, uh, could have blocked those kind of uh, uh, exposures. Yeah, and again, uh, we haven't discussed uh, this with, any, with anyone from Capital One, but usually best practice is do not expose the servers directly to the internet. Mm -hmm. Expose them through kind of some kind of a proxy or a load balancer uh, that can prevent some of the attacks. Again, maybe on this occasion there was uh, the load balancer was not uh, suitable because they used I don't know specific kind of configuration. Yeah. But bottom line is you should be very careful not exposing the servers directly. Just use a load balancer. It's easy. It's cheap. It prevents so many attacks at the web layer. So do it. Mm -hmm. Simply do it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, basically, yeah. Again, unless you have a really strange configuration or something that cannot work at uh, even the network load balancer or the application load balancer, uh, expose it through a load balancer. It gives another hope, and it stops all kind of uh, different attacks. So basically, the pr first problem was the SS uh, sorry the, uh, the servers that put to the internet, and the second problem was that uh, it had SSRF vulnerability enabled on yeah. the web servers. Can, yeah. can you give us two words on SSRF and what is the meaning in this environment? Yeah, so SSRF is like server-side request uh, forgery. You did it good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Uh, I spent like one hour like learning this. Uh, but uh, it, the, the concept is that there is like a service that exposes a regular API, okay? And part of the parameters that uh, the API accepts is like just a URL. So you can imagine 
like accessing uh, an internal uh, internal uh, database and one of the parameters for this request is the URL itself so you can uh, the attacker can use this API and change the default URL or accessing a different URL inside the internal internal network mm -hmm. and this is actually what was like what the attacker uh, did here they actually took a different URL, which is the URL of the metadata service. And they then they just had an access to the metadata service from the internet. Mm -hmm. okay. Can you give a couple of words on the metadata service? Yeah, so the, meta the metadata service is, um, like is, uh, is part of the services that the, uh, the uh, platform exposed for the developers. Um, in order to get information about like all of the environment from the like like for example the the instance and so uh, one use case can be uh, let's say that there is a, a a piece of code that depends on the uh, the type of machine the type of instance that the the application is ru is running on so the, the the this piece of code need to query AWS and ask him okay which type of machine I'm running on and if it's like a strong one I can do something like the first option and if it's like uh, like a small one without any memory without any CPU it can do like a different one uh, so this metadata service can basically expose lots of data about like the environment uh, and for the use of like like the, for the internal use of the uh, of like everything running on the platform mm -hmm. okay so basically the the metadata service is a it's an internal service and servers should access it internally it so should be an internal, yeah, service. Yeah. <laughs> internal <laughs> service and the ssrf basically enabled the attacker to access the service from the outside exactly. it's like the web server is becoming some kind of a proxy and routes all the traffic from the all the requests from the attacker to the metadata service. Uh, going step uh, backward, metadata service exists at all cloud provider, uh, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. It's not Amazon specific. It's not Amazon fault. Uh, it usually works the same. The idea is that you have some kind of uh, URL that you are accessing from the server side. It's uh, if somebody encountered the URL that is one that has the address 169.24254.169.254 254 this is basically the impressive the, <laughs> the auto configuration service uh, it's basically part of an old service it's part of the DHCP uh, backbone in the old days it's called a network auto configuration service and cloud provider basically used a new version of it to give the instance all the details that it needs like the instance name the, uh, the instance IP address everything is loaded to the metadata service and that serve and the server know how to read it from the metadata service and load it and load all the configuration and the biggest thing that you can get from security point of view the biggest thing that you can get from the metadata service is basically the access keys now we keep saying saying to people don't do mistake with access keys don't keep them on disk well the metadata service is a way to get <laughs> the ac the access keys without putting them on disk but mm -hmm. as we can see it doesn't solve all the problems right not yeah. getting them on disk because it's a url and you can access it through the ssrf uh, vulnerability then the information is uh, is visible to the attacker and um, the one thing that i want to really emphasize here is the fact that amazon because of capital one i think we think this is because of capital one they ch uh, they change the metadata service and upgraded to version two. 
Have you been exploring a bit about the difference between version one and version two? Yeah. Can you tell so, us a little bit about so, it? So may maybe th the first thing to say is that it's not, uh, you need to opt in to this, to this, uh, uh, to this new uh, version. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm going to explain what exactly it is, but it basically means that it's not on by default. Uh, so if someone is interested in enabling this feature, it, in, uh, they need to turn it on. Uh, and basically, uh, I think that AWS tr just trying to solve the specific issue that happened uh, in Capital One. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, as I mentioned before, like using the SSRF, it's, it, it was possible to, use, to do a GET request and then access the, the metadata service. So what AWS uh, did, they changed the, the format of the kind of the, the handshake. Uh, and before the first request for the, uh, for the credentials of the, uh, of the uh, AIM role, they just added another step of like creating a session for uh, like for a certain amount of uh, seconds, certain, uh, I don't know, like a few seconds. Um, and then like using this, this uh, uh, session uh, token, you can like do the, the next steps. Uh, but basically what they, what they change is that instead of like uh, another get request, it's now like a put, uh, HTTP put. Uh, and basically uh, most of the SSRF uh, vulnerabilities are using the get request that as, as I said before, but now they are blocked. Mm -hmm. yeah, so basically, because it's harder to do a put request in SSRF, uh, AWS simply harden the access. You first need to do a put request, then you will have access to your API keys. Yeah. But again, it's it's mm -hmm. just an hardening. It's not like it's not a bulletproof at the moment, uh, uh, and uh, I, I think they. You know, there are lots of discussion internet in the internet if it's like the correct solution or not, uh, and lots of uh, like uh, uh, smart developers trying to say it's it's not as good as as AWS uh, uh, trying to say, but I think it's like an, another step forward. Uh, it's much better than it was before, but again, like lots of places for improvement. And and what is uh, if I can ask the misconfiguration? What uh, what they did wrong? Is it only an AWS problem? Uh, basically, uh, the did wrong was along the SSRF. Mm -hmm. Okay, the problem is that uh, because of the way metadata worked, every time you you had an SSRF, it's game over. Okay, because you can get the access keys. So now it's. A little more difficult. It's a little bit more difficult. That's the area. But I, I can relate to this a little bit more. And if anything we do, we're just putting the walls higher, a little bit higher. There's exactly. never a, one wall that finishes this all. Yeah. Everything we do is put another uh, another layer in the wall. Yeah, and I, like, and I can say that in in this case, the the attacker access the metadata service, but it, it, like they can also use the same SSRF vulnerability to access the MongoDB. Uh, API, right? And mm -hmm. to do something else, to change something on uh, or delete something. And again, it's like, as you just said, it's like you, you need to change all the time and you need to, to, to change the high of the, the walls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, uh, up until now, this uh, our recommendation is don't make SSRF <laughs> uh, vulnerabilities. I mean, cover your SSRF vulnerabilities. Make sure that your WAF is blocking SSRF if uh, possible. And also you need to opt in for the version two of the metadata service if you want, uh, if you want to, uh, again, to not to eliminate the SSRF problem, but to make it much, much harder. Yeah. Because of in version two, you need to put, uh, you need to use post and not only get request, which is harder. 
Um, okay, so the attacker got the access keys from the metadata service. What now? So now they just the like they just saw that they they had an access to the like which one of the S3 buckets. So they had two two permissions. The first one for listing all of the buckets, and then I guess that they saw like a impressive list of seven hundred uh, buckets, which is always nice. Uh, and then they they actually uh, had the permission to sync, which is basically to download all of the content of those uh, those buckets into their own environment. I, I just can imagine like a kid uh, finding <laughs> exactly <laughs> all the toys, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, only in our case, uh, it wasn't a kid. Somebody hacked them yeah. in order to hack them. Yeah, I mean, kids are usually uh, browsing the the bucket and then they they're looking for open buckets and then they found it. But somebody made a big progress to get to this point. Yeah, yeah. It's not. A, it's not a kid. Yeah. It's not a script kitty. Um, so uh, again, we are back to S3 uh, permissions, which is something we talked a lot about. Give us a couple of insights about S3 and the buckets and uh, how do we do permission properly. So, the, the first thing to say is that it's very complex. <laughs> okay, there are multiple uh, ways to to solve it, and maybe this is one of the problems, right? Uh, I think there are like, I don't know, at least three different ways. Each one of them is separate from the other to protect the S3 buckets. Mm -hmm. uh, and like maybe the fact that you have so many options is what like makes so many, like what actually uh, leads to so many uh, mistakes. mistakes. Yeah. And yeah, so like the first one, which I guess that uh, uh, like most of the, the audience are pretty much familiar with is like uh, just to to assign an S3 bucket policy, uh, which basically means to uh, to define who can access this kind of a bucket. And again, it's from the bucket perspective. It's not from the user, the, the user or the service perspective. It's from the bucket perspective. Uh, and the second option is to use IAM roles. Uh, uh, and to assign a specific policy to each one of the IAM roles. And this, this option is more from the service and the user perspective and not from the bucket perspective. Mm. Uh, so basically trying to uh, uh, elaborate more on what you said, you can use policies, uh, which is basically bucket policy or resource policy, as mm -hmm. AWS call them, which is uh, do, uh, giving permissions from the bucket side. Who can access me? Yeah, uh, and over there you say you you give only the application that needs to access the relevant uh, the relevant permissions. Exactly, and probably it shouldn't include sync. Uh, yeah, um, usually a read only. And second, you need to think uh, if you need to give it to seven hundred buckets. Yeah, and, and it depends on the case, right? Some the something case. you need. Sometimes you need to have like a, a sync permission. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but like not always and not for every each one of the IRM all like this case. Yeah, well, again, uh, not uh, not judging uh, Capital One, but uh, usually the sync role is made in, uh, in order to uh, provide sync between different buckets. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't give this to us an instance. Instance yeah, doesn't yeah, exactly. really need this, uh, this permission. Uh, but uh, judging from the use case, even if they give only read permission, that's also a yeah. problem on this exactly. case. So the question uh, would be how many uh, buckets the application should access, mm -hmm. not uh, if should access all of them. Uh, but we stopped in the middle. We said that one way to do this is uh, from the uh, service, uh, sorry, from the uh, bucket uh, point of view, the uh, bucket permissions. Another way to do this is IEM rules. Basically give the uh, 
the servers, a role that allows them to access S3. And you can do uh, either one of those or you could do both of them. Mm -hmm. And actually, IWS gives you so many ways to do uh, S3 security. I mean, you have a comp uh, blocking control, like preventative controls, like the permissions, and you have detective controls, like Amazon, make sure that uh, scans the, the buckets looking for uh, PIIs and stuff and open buckets and stuff like this. You have, uh, you can do detective controls with AWS config and you can, or you can look at the CloudTrail to see if permission has changed. You have a compensating control, like you can run a Lambda each time the permission mm -hmm. has changed and change it over uh, again. So basically, yeah, you have so many tools. So sometimes the organization don't even know what to activate. Yeah. Sometimes things look too, Complicated I, um, and also encryption, right? It's also a, like a useful one. Yeah, uh, and I, I think I read somewhere that it was on for the Capital One, but maybe there was a permission to change the setting as well. So <laughs> yeah, well, it could be on, but if it's a server-side encryption, uh, uh, SSC, if I, if I think the name of it is, and then uh, you, the key is kept in the storage, so you, everybody can took, take out the encrypted data. If mm -hmm. you're using a specific key then you need to give the permission to the instance, yeah. to the key. And if they, uh, and this is also a way to block it. Also, a couple of years ago, we did a demo at DEF CON and we, and, we, and we showed how we do a bucket access policy. Basically, you can access the file or the bucket only if you, if you have a specific referrer in the header. This, also, this would also prevent this because the attacker wouldn't know which, which kind of uh, header to put in the HTTP request. Mm -hmm. It would also block this attack. But again, it's uh, so many options. The problem is uh, the right methodology. We, yeah, we talked in this. one of our former uh, previous uh, episodes with the former CISO of uh, Oracle, uh, Oracle Cloud. And uh, something that he said is that uh, the really the cloud providers need to take more uh, responsibility, yeah. uh, but also make the things simpler. It's really, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard to, to follow everything. And yeah, and think about companies that use uh, like cross-platforms mm -hmm. environments. So like handling this problem also in uh, Google and also in Azure, it's like it's like insane. Right? This, this is why you can raise one hundred and fifty millions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that for sure. Okay, so S three, yeah, S three permissions are very hard to understand. It's n it's not easier in Google or in um, in, in Microsoft. Uh, I don't know if the entire model is broken, mm -hmm. okay? I'm not sure about it, um, but it's definitely getting too complex and, uh, and people find it hard to uh, keep up with the right permission, uh, uh, with the right permission set. I have to say, by the way, um, in the favor of Capital One, uh, up until now we talk about all the mistakes, but other attacks that follow the same path got an access key that allowed them to delete the entire environment. <laughs> So the good thing for Capital One is that they found only access key that allowed them to uh, sync yeah. the S3 bucket. It could be a very different story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, basically, they did a few things definitely well. Uh, they isolated this application. It can only access specific buckets. The API key was probably not able to do much more. Otherwise, we've, we would see the attacker do much more. Yeah. Uh, and at the end, mm -hmm. like, uh, I think the attacker actually had an access only to part of the data. So this is actually really good, right? Because mm -hmm. imagine that they could have ac could have actually gained an access to all of the data of Capital One, then it probably was a, a much a much more disaster. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we've seen scenarios when uh, people find the keys and start deleting servers and data. Yeah. So uh, you know, they, they were lucky on this scenario. Mm. Yeah. 
So uh, we have uh, something else or we move to our next step? Do, do we have anything else about the technology? I mean, we pretty much talked about, uh, yeah. I think, the technology aspect yeah. of it. Uh, of course, uh, the detection, I mean, uh, you need to have CloudTrail enabled and S3 logs in order to verify. Yeah, we, which they actually happened. did, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is how they managed to, to understand what actually happened, which is uh, very important. Uh, yeah, I think we're pretty much okay. Okay, I, I have to say one thing about it again. Usually we know that organization will take between uh, six months to a year to understand when they get hacked. We see, every time we see that in cloud environment, it takes much, much, much less. If you have CloudTrail and S3 logs enabled, and then you get pretty good visibility over what happened. Uh, so yeah. the, again, we, one thing to say, Capital One, figure out really fast what was going on there, even though it was a sophisticated attack. And this we can, uh, sh this we can uh, say was a good cloud configuration effort probably. Yeah. Okay, so this was technology and we always try to put things about technology, people and process. Can you tell us a little bit what you think about uh, the people angle here? I mean, what can, we, what can be done? Uh, I mean, I guess this is more in general because we don't really know what the situation in Capital One. Let's talk in general. What should the developers and IT and operations yeah. should know? So I, I think in, uh, that, that basically at the moment there is a, a huge gap between like in the ownership and the responsibility of those area. So let's say that I am part of a team that uh, uh, like basically uh, owner a specific uh, a specific application. So which part of this application uh, should I own? Is it like only the the few lines of code that I wrote? Is it like the dependency? Is it like the container? Is it like the Kubernetes? There are so many things things uh, and like and now we have the S3 on AWS and we have Terraform script. So who exactly is the owner? of those area. So we can say that the owner is like uh, the developer, uh, but if we, if we say so, then we need to have the right tools, then we need to have the right approach and the right education for those developers. Uh, and it's not trivial at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like uh, basically we don't, mo we don't want to make all of the developers like uh, uh, DevOps people, right? It's a, it's a, different, uh, it's a different role. Uh, but this is the gap. This is the main gap I see here. There are lots of things that are, that are around the application and it's not simple as it used to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, again, back to what we said, give the provider tool, the provider, give the developer tools. Uh, and uh, we had uh, one of our early episodes was uh, uh, Guy Fletcher, the, the uh, CISO for uh, AppsFlyer, and I said, mm -hmm. I give them guardrails. I mean, I let them follow a path. They can go their own way, but I make sure that they don't divert. Yeah. Yeah, tools like the one I mentioned, like scanning your environment and verify that no, none of the servers got exposed to the internet is like giving them guardrails. Do whatever you want. I will make sure you're not uh, yeah. passing my, uh, my permission boundaries. Okay, from the process point of view, I mean, how can you make sure that, uh, we, we, I know SNCC is very big on CI/CD processes mm -hmm. and how to change uh, your, how to shift from traditional security into the new security. Yeah, so like maybe the, the major, first, uh, ma major step in the, the process is maybe around, less about the CI, but more about the uh, review and the education, as I mentioned before. So if, there, if no one from the team is familiar with Kubernetes, then maybe someone f 
from the security, the platform, the DevOps team need to help them. Uh, same thing about like uh, the, the cloud, the platform itself. So uh, reviewing the IAM roles, reviewing the network policies, reviewing like whatever it is, there are lots of things to review, but uh, reviewing those things from the security perspective, it's really, really important. Uh, and maybe it should be a part of like merging the code into, into production. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, from uh, uh, like other things we can, like other tools we can, uh, we can use are more about the, the, the pipelines itself, uh, themselves. For example, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with OPA, the Open Policy Agent. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a generic uh, a generic policy agent, as it uh, yeah. implies, uh, created by the CNCF. Uh, and the, the goal is to have policies around, like generic policies engine, and you can define exactly each one of those policies. And I can, I can give some examples. So let's say that, uh, let's say that as part of your uh, con uh, Kubernetes configuration, you want to make sure that each one of the services, each one of the uh, Kubernetes objects, there is a label for the name of the team. So if there is an error or production, you can talk directly with the team or just ping them automatically. Uh, so this is like one, one, uh, uh, one example for policies that you create. Mm -hmm. And other policies you, you can do is for security. So imagine that the uh, the the DevOps or the platform team uh, just define all of those security, all of those policies, and then and then just help the developers and not not doing any mistakes mm -hmm. as part of the regular pipeline. Uh, and yeah, open, uh, OPA can basically uh, being used for each scenario. So Kubernetes is one of them. Terraform is all, also another scenario. Uh, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. Okay. So, um, anything else then and in the, in the process side that uh, you think that, uh, can help? So I, I think that like, first of all, you need to give the developers visibility about what actually going on. Right. So, uh, so, uh, sneak is a good example for displaying all of the dependencies, uh, right. But also, uh, this like an, another other tools can can help the developers actually understand what's going on on the platform or understand what are the differences between the platform actually what's actually running on the platform and what with what actually defined inside the code mm -hmm. so there is the concept of infrastructure as code right mm -hmm. but imagine that everything is amazing in my organization everything is uh, like everything is inside github uh, and then there is a new a new developer that manually open created a new bucket okay so uh, this is a problem right because if i expect everything to be automatically and then someone just doing things manually then it's a problem so uh, one tool for example is a, a which is for terraform is a tfdiff which basically uh, kind of compare the environment be, like between what the definition and between what's actually going on a visual source uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah kind, kind of, of. and <laughs> um, uh, and yeah i think again there are lots of tools mm -hmm. uh, each one of them can be specifically for each one of uh, like a specific tool specific area uh, and i think that 
it's more about like the what the how the the company helps the helps the developers and how they help them understand the problem it's it's not enough to say okay there is a there might be a potential risk with a IRM wall if the devel- developers doesn't don't understand what what IRM wall is right yeah. um okay no so it's, it is interesting because you said like it's it's a process it, it's not uh, just one thing and it's not even uh, about tools it's yeah. a mindset a gap a knowledge and uh, and taking care of the of the things exactly Okay, so try to summarize all of this. Mixed configuration in the cloud is a big thing and you get uh, so many hacks due to that. Capital One is one example where we see a combination of vulnerabilities and misconfiguration uh, leading to a, a hack. Basically, uh, uh, and this, this is what we see in the last uh, uh, big hacks. It's a combination of different mis- misconfiguration and different of, uh, in some places where you don't, use the list privileges and you open a little bit and this is basically uh, the way so for capital one specifically we talk about uh, SSRF and the metadata access service but it's always the same uh, have less uh, have less uh, follow the list privileges principle less privileges this is what I was going after have less privileges for every action you need to make and follow uh, basically monitor your environment all the time make sure that server that that should be exposed to the internet are not exposed uh, make sure that your WAF is configured uh, correctly um, understand all the little tw- uh, tweaks that cloud provider will give you like the version 2 that can stop uh, SSRF to the metadata I mean uh, there are all sorts there are all sorts of uh, those little things that you can do um, s3 permission policy you have to define your methodology around it and build your uh, also detective controls and also your preventative mm-hmm. and uh, compensating controls uh, around it I think this is one of the biggest challenges here make sure that uh, when you use API keys again you don't keep them in on disk or something like that I would say I always recommend use the metadata service mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but we can see this is not a bulletproof yeah. uh, solution as well so probably my next recommendation would be a, use a parameter store or secret store or a, some kind of external uh, vault uh, mechanism I, I guess we are going that way the metadata service is not uh, secured anymore even in this version too and when we talk about process and uh, and people, Give the provider no, sorry, give the developers knowledge, right? This is what you're saying. Let them uh, understand what they're doing. Let them be owners of things. Just give them good enough tools to verify that you can be uh, that you can audit them, and you can definitely that, okay, tell them, okay, over here you open the bucket, over here you have a server export to the internet, so you can basically uh, guardrail them into the right uh, direction. That's uh, pretty much summarizing things. Yeah, it was a long one. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think like mm-hmm. the, the main key, the, the main uh, key point for, for, me, for me is that basically there are someday there will be a, a problem in your network. Someday there will be a misconfiguration because there are so many things to do. And, uh, and the first thing to do is to act fast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so in order to act fast, you need to have a, a, a clear owner for that. Yeah. Somebody is at the door, but continue. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's our next guest. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we need to have a, a clear owner for that. Uh, and this is why each and every team should talk about those things mm-hmm. and not just keep a, a vague, a vague gap like mm-hmm. for the ownership. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, at the CSA, we call it uh, 
limiting their blast radius. I mean, at certain point you will have some kind of misconfiguration. The biggest question would be, will it affect all of your environment or simply pieces of it? So you want to limit the attack, the blast radius to make sure that it will only affect as little as possible. Exactly. Okay, well, it was really interesting. Uh, thank you for uh, being with us and sharing your knowledge. And uh, we will uh, check your uh, next product. Maybe. Yeah, good luck <laughs> with the launch of your product. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks again. It was my first podcast. Ah, okay. <laughs> good luck. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks to all, all our listeners. And uh, you can share, uh, comment. And uh, if you want to talk also, uh, contact us. Bye-bye. Thank you.